This is an excerpt from Different Ways Revealing the Feminine by Seal, published in 2020. Chapter 20, Life in Little Egypt, Part 1. My cat and I rolled into Phoenix, Arizona from that California grief in my 1969 Volkswagen bus on Mother's Day, 1988. I was high on that tyrant hope aiming to start a new life. I couldn't have picked a more opposite environment from the Pacific Northwest if I had moved to the Sahara. Phoenix was a hot, sprawling mass of tract housing and strip malls as far as the eye could see. I cryptically called it Little Egypt. Years later, this association would make me laugh. It took a while for me to orient myself to the new environment, but once I began working and taking steps towards independence from my family who helped me get established, I began to gain a certain respect for the place. Slowly I developed eyes willing to see the beauty around me, For months when I first arrived, all I saw was a dirty, dusty bowl of concrete. Every single day I would wake to yet another sunny day. Christ, the sunny days were endless. Sun, sun, sun. I remember thinking I sent myself to hell, possibly in pursuit of my recently deceased father. I fumbled around with jobs and relationships and joined an African dance troupe at Zido where I promptly managed to alienate people with my incredibly awkward social skills. Sike Ganyo was our teacher, and an amazing person who I found intimidating. He found me annoying as I struggled to fit in and learn the dances. He told me once I was ridiculous to think myself so small. In his country, in Guyana, women ran everything and were all powerful, gigantic souls. He saw in me what I couldn't. He wasn't mean about it. He was being honest. It would be many years before I saw what he was looking at and how I carried myself. I didn't dance well, so I ingratiated myself by sewing costumes for the troupe. We opened for Lady Smith Black Mambaza when they came to town. I couldn't tell my right foot from my left foot, my body having its own interpretation of music. Like with playing music, I managed, but I was unable to really master anything. That said, I was in the best physical shape of my life with all of that rehearsing. I looked and felt great. I began going to Papago Park in the mornings and meditating, and eventually my perspective shifted. My viewpoint wasn't the only thing that shifted. So did the culture. A new type of music was wafting and infiltrating the air, and it had a fresh excitement to it, not entirely unlike the 60s in its demanding to be heard and seizing the imagination. I couldn't hear much of it on the airwaves, but opportunities surfaced to provide a way for me to enjoy these new sounds that intrigued and inspired me in the form of outdoor festivals and live music venues. There was work for me in Phoenix. There were opportunities to learn the new technologies that I would need to know to survive in the latter part of my life. At the time, technology was an annoying thing that you needed to learn about to keep your job. It would be years before there would be personal computers available, 
The internet was a mysterious thing then that few people understood well. It was mostly used for commerce and sending work email messages. In all of this, I ended up sitting pretty as I was embedded in a work world where I needed an aptitude to keep up technologically. I had only a high school diploma, a bit of charm, and more moxie than I should be allowed to carry without a permit, so I managed to climb through the proper channels as I pitched myself to employers. I could be assertive regarding work, just not socially. Back in those days, it wasn't hard to cultivate work experience if you were white and showed any enthusiasm at all, and paced yourself, at least in Phoenix. It's not like that anymore. Now, you need a B.A. to wash dishes. I ended up settling for years in the college town of Tempe, a few miles southeast of downtown Phoenix. I had learned computerized ticketing at the Herberger Theater Center as an assistant box office manager, and later I was hired as the box office manager for the now-defunct College of Fine Arts at Arizona State University. I felt like a queen in that theater arts museum building designed by Antoine Predoc, where I had my office. Carthage, I've come home, I'd announce as I leaned into the architecture and blew smoke rings skyward, dreaming of being queen once more. I had never been in a more challenging circumstance in my life as I was being in charge of managing all those college box offices. It was brutal. The day would begin at 9 a.m. and I would and would not end often until 9 or 10 p.m. at night after the shows were up. It was crazy and I loved the challenge of it even though I realize now I was not well suited to being so stressed. One really needed the energy and temperament of an emergency medical technician to juggle all those students and box offices and tickets, and subscribers, and reservations, and monies, and make it all look like magic to those in attendance by the time the curtains rose at 8 p.m. Eventually, a new dean came in with his own entourage. He labeled us all whiners and slackers in the department, and we were all booted out of our jobs. I found him dreadful. I didn't want to work for him. It happens in colleges when a new dean comes in, so I found out. I felt sad for the people I worked with. That was their actual career. I felt myself to be a free agent about my jobs, a mercenary of sorts. I did go bankrupt in losing the income, however. It was an unceremonious end to what was probably the most extraordinary experience for building my confidence that I ever had. I've always been very grateful that my supervisor took a chance on me for that position. (laughs) 